The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And this week we welcome Kevin Young of Reopening the Wormhole, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Thank you for coming on. Thanks <laughs> for coming to pleasure. prison. <laughs> of course. It's nowhere I'd rather be. Now, Kevin is our, our second guest here on our show from Reopening the Wormhole. His co-host Sam was our first guest way back in week two. And I don't know if that's an indictment of Sam, Kevin, that there's nowhere you'd rather be than in Manhattan prison, as opposed to, you know, uh, out in the uh, depths of deep space with Sam. Well, maybe I may have I may have exaggerated. I'd, I'd <laughs> much rather be chilling in Deep Space Nine with my pals. Aww. But hey, you know, prison's a close second. <laughs> <laughs> This is a fun prison. Good. <laughs> so uh, we are getting into minute 28 here, and minute 28 continues for minute 27 with you've got Snake in the Gulf Fire, and he's got three sexy radar readouts, and, and he hits a shaky landing on the roof and uh, ends up walking away from his glider towards something. So there we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a glider. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna this land is, this shit. <laughs> this this is uh, this is one of those tough minutes in the movies by minute format. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, well, maybe tomorrow's even tougher. But uh, Kevin, we went in depth uh, with our guest last week on the the Gulf Fire and the the graphics and everything. But but uh, you're a since you're a new voice here uh, for today. Uh, you have any? What are your thoughts on the the sequence and you know the the visual readout of inside the Gulf Fire that Snake is looking back at looking at as he flies through the city well his display it's clearly of its time i mean specifically of the 80s is what it looks like this movie oh, yeah. did come out in the 80s right yeah 81 yeah. yeah okay i mean it just it looks it, you know i'm reminded of stuff like tron or whatever it just looks like all that and i highly doubt that that's how things are going to look you know in the time when this actually takes place but you know whatever <laughs> yeah the movie takes place in 1997 so so yeah I think a little more advanced than that yeah probably which, by the way, I'm going to like level with you guys right here that um, I did not get a chance to rewatch this movie before the podcast recording the night here. Uh-oh. So I'm kind of going in blind just having watched these uh, scenes several times, these minutes several times, and uh, it's exciting. I think I saw part of this movie once at a party once. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm giving you a perspective that's just watching three <laughs> random minutes out of context. But, you know, I've absorbed a lot about this movie from osmosis. And I'm also, you know, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. This is just one of my, like, blind spots in his repertoire. Oh, that's ex- well, 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 you covered a question I was going to ask you at the end of today's episode. What's your history with the movie? So that gets that one out of the way. Yeah, well, this, this, that, that way you can pepper any of my comments with, oh, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, well, that's interesting. Then before we d- jump into the movie, then, if you're a big John Carpenter fan, um, how come you haven't ever gotten around to seeing this one? I couldn't tell you. I just, you know, it just... It, <laughs> I it's just I think I'm into his horror stuff more. I like I'm more of a horror fan. I think you know Halloween, the thing, and even some of his like later '80s, early '90s horror movies are some of my faves. But uh, the action movies have never quite been my cup of tea. 
so much, but I, you know, it's just a blind spot. One of these days I was going to get to it and just never have, you know, it goes. So action movies in general or just specifically like his action movies? No, action movies in general. Oh, not that I interesting. write them all off entirely, but it's just, it's not my favorite. Not something that I normally seek out, which is probably why I was postponing this one as opposed to some of the others. Like I saw Prince of Darkness, which nobody's seen, but I think is great. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to judge from the minutes that I've watched for this recording session, but I definitely intend to watch it someday, and I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I mean, I think I think it's kind of endearing, though, to think that your experience with this movie was just... And, and I am totally overlaying an image in my head of like you just being really drunk at a party when you're like 22, and this just being on in the background, and maybe there's some sort of, I don't know, drunken adventure that's happening. But I feel like that's, you get a pass for just having this on casually in the background, because it feels like this is that kind of party movie that someone would just kind of put on and just have atmospherically, because it's just a cool movie to have on in general. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it gives, it has that vibe of, I mean, the set, design and all looks really cool and it's very 80s looking and sounding and it's a good thing just to have on as ambiance for a party setting i think especially with all the weirdos i hang out with and there's plenty of weirdos in in these few minutes well they're like sneaky weirdos but uh in this particular minute we don't quite get them yet but we will this week so stay tuned for that um you know i i didn't go quite down the rabbit hole with this but i really forget how many miniatures are really in movies and i was just kind of curious and i was doing a little bit of research and this particular minute does feature the gulf fire being a mini and seeing it come and try and land um and to back up just a moment i was doing a little bit more research on military gliders and I guess it's always a controlled crash with a military glider like this because they're just light and there's just nothing there's nothing there to really catch typically. I mean, Snake has this like cool little grapply hook that he releases to catch himself, but I think it's kind of interesting and kind of like balls out to, to fly something and really have no means of really landing it. It's kind of a wing and a prayer, literally. And the fact that it's happening on a roof is, again, additionally pretty badass. Yeah, and I feel like the movie actually almost makes it the the roof, the surface area of the roof seem bigger than it really is. You know, as for as tall as the World Trade Center Twin Towers were, the the footprint, considering how tall they were, I, I think would surprise people how small the footprint was. So he really, as far as surface area, he does not have that much room to get that thing stopped. And he does cut it a little close with that grappling hook. I mean, he he kind of waits a bit to deploy it. I I would have I would have popped that sucker as soon as I hit down. Yeah, I would have as well. Um, but that was one of the things I was kind of curious about, and I um, don't know what you ended up digging up. But I was looking at the the roof of the old trade center, so pre two thousand one uh, was one thousand three hundred sixty two feet. And granted, there really isn't an equivalent of the Gulf Fire that we're really familiar with in terms of a military glider, but one of the most abundantly produced was the American Waco CG-4, and that actually can be landed in as little as 600 feet. So technically, if you're a badass, and Snake is, it is possible to land that shit. With 1,362 feet of what? What is the 1,362 feet? Uh, the roof, roof but length. What, is, was that the uh, that's that's square feet or or the or um like one length of it? 
Well, it just listed it as the like the size of the roof. Mm. So I don't know that that's 600 square feet. I that that sounds way too big. 1362 feet maybe maybe this. That that's uh I mean that's uh that's about a quarter of a mile. How much is a mile? Is that a mile's fi- miles fifty two hundred feet or so? Maybe that's square foot. Yeah, that hold on. Is that like so would that be like eight hundred? No, sorry. Math. Make the math, Eric. Make the math. Quickly uh, I'm, make I'm, the I'm, math. I'm Googling. I'm Googling right now. <laughs> so it said they stood over thirteen hundred fifty feet tall. But the observation deck roof is like thirteen sixty two. Yeah, that's has so is that that's square how the, that's foot? All the building was. That's not the surface area of the roof you know that's the height of the building oh i see what you're saying you know the, right. the building was 1362 feet so tall. that must be well i mean because if a yeah the a square, house is 2000 square foot so maybe that's like, square right foot here. it's uh, approximately yeah 208 feet on each side yeah that that's that must yeah. be square foot then no no the the building is 1362 feet tall not square feet the height of it is 1,062 that... feet. That's how tall the building was. The surface area of the roof, which is just what, if you were standing on the roof, you would walk around. Mm-hmm. It was about 208 feet in each direction. It was basically a square. So even if he lands on the hypotenuse, and I don't really feel like doing the math right now in my head, but he has, he, he's got to have less than that 600 feet that you were just talking about. Okay, I'm gonna have to look that up because I remember looking at the observation deck being that. Unless it's, I'm. Well, the I'm observation gonna look- deck was just the is just where people went to look. That's how Around. high the observation. That's, that's how high. That's a height. That's figure. a height. That's where the the observation deck was at the top of the building. That's how high you were when you were in the observation deck. That's mm-hmm. not the that's not the surface area of the roof. Okay, so he's got like five feet then to basically make that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is just, you know, it's insanity trying to land on that thing. But he's got some cool tools to help him out. He does. Yes. He does. He's got like a, a bat grapply thing. What is this other thing that comes out of the wing that is it like sliding against the railing to help him stop? Is that what's going on there? Yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like we see, you know, as someone who doesn't really know anything about planes, I feel like I see this in movies a lot that these planes will eject things to try to like increase drag or something like that. That must be I mean, I, know, I mean, I know, like, you know, when you just flying on, a, on your standard plane, as you're landing, the, the, the wings, part of them kind of flip up. And sorry, plane experts, that we all sound <laughs> complete doofuses right now. None of us are pilots, obviously. That, that no. was my... Yeah, it seems, it seems as good a guess as any. I just, I just saw that thing pop out, and I was like, I don't even understand the purpose of this. The <laughs> grappling hook I get, but I don't know about this other weird thingy. But, you know, what else? Amal, you mentioned the the model and the shot is so awesome of the model of the glider coming in with the city in front of it it's just such a cool shot uh the model looks great it's probably some matte painting going on there that looks great the plane looks great the model of the roof of the building looks great it's just such a really awesome shot and there's a nice <laughs> um, there's a nice little blinking you'll miss it moment and around the 18 19 second mark as the gulf fire right as it's about to land it does like this little the wings kind of back and forth up and down shaky little thing like you know snake is trying to make sure it's steady right as he comes in and it's just a nice little realistic moment there that they stuck in that it wasn't just coming in perfectly straight 
Yeah, it's definitely, it's a rough landing in. I mean, I dig this, and I again, I was talking about like miniatures before, but apparently there were three different miniature models for the Gulffire. I was listening to uh, one of the effects guys talking about it. So the when it's flying in, it's a one-third scale model, uh, two-foot model for the motion control shots, and the smallest is about four to five inches, and that looks like that's the one at the about the 47-second mark, mm-hmm. where you just get this bird's-eye view of the model of the building. And then you've got the shot of the Gulf fire sitting on top of it. So I so rarely think about that. People are replicating these spaces super tiny, right? Because like, I'm kind of accustomed to seeing CGI at this point. And this is obviously a completely analog situation given its time period, but it's so amazing to me to think that it's guys who look like Godzilla when you look at the shots of, you know, they're taking production stills and whatnot, but they've, they've recreated, you know, all of these, you know, real life areas, just super teeny uh, to be able to shoot and have it be realistic. And, and the, the craftsmanship of being able to do the lighting and, you know, adding grain to these models to be able to, to look really realistic. And then also just the motion of this too, because since they're models, we have to be able to look at this and just believe that this really is a plane or a glider that's, that's hitting a roof hard so it's there's so much artistry in in this little bit for us to to not even know that what we're looking at isn't you know real. So right. yeah, I mean I certainly prefer the the um, real models as opposed to the CG that is so common today. But uh, maybe it's just because of my time spent watching so much Star Trek over all my years. But <laughs> seeing the plane wobbling as it comes in just reminded me of seeing the Enterprise wobble around because it's dangling from a piece of twine. <laughs> and that's all I could think of was that this is a this is a model that's dangling from a piece of string that we can't see. But I don't. So that just made me think: is that intentional that they're making the plane wobble, or is that just like it, they couldn't make it not wobble because of the uh, the string that it's hanging from? <laughs> mm, right. Well, you know, that's the only part where I thought like, oh, this looks like a model to me. The rest of it, I was like, this actually looks pretty good, especially for the time that it was made in. And yeah, the the matte painting looks great of the uh, the city and all that. And, and they did a good job of the editing, by the way, of like matching up the uh, the animations of his display with the actual uh, plane. It all works very well. It's it's pretty cool. It's a cool yeah, sequence. It absolutely does. It very perfectly matched. And and good sound in this minute too. I like the whooshing that they added mm-hmm. in the plane going by. That's cool. And and I like um, when the plane finally comes to a stop at the edge of the roof. There's the creaking. It's a really nice creaking noise. You can like hear the metal kind of crunching on the concrete so a good sound design in this minute Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. totes i think there's good sound design in all three of these minutes yeah and, yeah. and just the music alone and its application and we'll get oh, yeah. to that in the the next couple of minutes but yeah i think that that's adding a whole lot to this and especially considering how analog it is that you really need to have some other types of sound not unlike the uh pod getting ejected before and the, the cool little noises and whooshes of that makes that uh, a little more believable, or at least iconic anyway. And then an aw- another awesome visual in this minute, that overhead shot of the plane on the edge looking all the way down with the city beneath it. I mean, what a great vertigo-inducing shot that is. Right. I wonder how tall that model was. <laughs> that That shot's got to be a combo of model and matte painting i'm assuming yeah I think I it is so. yeah and so we've 
it's come up in previous episodes about sort of the mixed bag that the makers of the movie had with the geography of the city that some of the stuff has been incredibly accurate and some of the stuff is they played a little bit with the geography of the city and this minute incredibly enough it perfectly encapsulates that because there's a really great example of it and a really poor example of it so he i I was looking at the approach of the geography of how the two twin towers are situated and the approach of the plane and what direction he would have been approaching in and it looks like he's coming from the north and coming into land heading south which means first of all since he took off somewhere near either on liberty island or next to liberty island it means that at some point he actually went north and swooped around to come then land who knows why maybe he had a build up speed I, i don't really understand why i mean he was swooping around down in the canyons of the streets so i'm not sure how that came about but if he is indeed facing south in the shot that i was talking about that i thought looked really cool with the gulf fire approaching and the model of the city in the background that indeed is an accurate representation of what you would see if you were heading south towards the world trade center You, you can see the verrazano bridgeway in the background you can see that's Brooklyn on the left of the screen. It's Staten Island on the right of the screen. It's geographically accurate as far as what the, um, the, the the shoreline looks like. I would like to add that, however, I don't see our famous wall anywhere there, though, which is supposedly mm. running along the Brooklyn uh, waterfront. So that's very impressive that they put the kind of detail in there for something that's only on screen for about two or three seconds. However, as we discussed last week, the building that he almost slams into at the time was the Pan Am building, is now the MetLife building. Well, that building is all the way up in Midtown in the 40s. So I'm not sure why he would have flown all the way that far north in Manhattan to turn around and come all the way back down to the World Trade Center. That makes literally no sense whatsoever of why that would be done. So it's uh, we got a mixed bag in this minute. So I got <laughs> Holy moly. You know a lot about the New, the New York geography. I live here. Well, yeah, I mean, wow. I've, I've lived a few places, but I've never known any place as well as you do New York. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that's just the, the T-shirt that we need to have now for this podcast of just Eric. Like, I live here. <laughs> I've still never been. One day, I hope to visit New York. Uh, so then uh, we get uh, a great little snake moment in here that Hauk's calling for him, and <laughs> Snake doesn't bother to check in. He just gets out of the plane. You know, just screw this. I'm not even answering you. I'm not letting you know that I landed safely. That's a great little Snake moment. There's a lot of him being like, Pliskin? Pliskin, are you there, Pliskin? It's three <laughs> minutes of him asking for Pliskin. <laughs> kind of reminds me of, are you guys Serenity fans? Have you seen Serenity? Hell yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I Eric? think you know the answer to that question. Oh, that's right. Um, I, I, you've yet to ask me something. Have I seen that? I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you know the answers. No, <laughs> but I I hold out hope. <laughs> I hold out hope. I just like it's just I just my brain can't can't accept it. It just it's rejecting the reality. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep asking you, and uh, you can you can just tell me no, and that's you know, okay. I, yeah, we're at minute twenty eight. <laughs> you know, we've got what is. Uh, uh, what are we about a hundred? I think we're exactly a hundred episodes. We'll be doing. We'll we'll get one. You'll still throw one out at some. How have you not seen Serenity? That, what have you been doing what, with your life? I don't even, <laughs> I don't, what is which one is that? Is uh, oh, for the, the 
fuck's sake, Eric. Oh my God. <laughs> so we are talking about the Firefly movie, right? Yes, and not the movie yes. that came out earlier this year in yes, theaters? We're talk- yes, we're talking about the okay. Firefly movie. <laughs> All right, okay, now I remember so- there was a TV show, Firefly. I never watched that either. Wow. Wow. Is it just is it just baseball and like Flash Gordon and this movie? Like we're <laughs> well, you haven't mentioned you haven't asked me ever at any point you know about Star Wars or Marvel or any other. But really I know awesome you've movie. seen all that. Well, well, he's never brought them up. I don't know to tell you. <laughs> we did talk a little bit of Star Wars though. You never asked me if I watched Misfits of Science. I would have said yes if you asked me that. You know? I don't even know what Misfits of Science yeah. is. Ah, see, lost me there. Go. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> I know Eric's watched Star Trek, at least some of it, because he yeah. came on to talk about a Deep Space Nine episode with us once. So that's legit. Yeah, there's there's commonality there. That's so yes. funny. This is just going to be like the the weirdest ongoing joke on this podcast that Molly and Eric have not seen any of the same things except for two movies, and that's it. And the start, yeah, completely unplanned. This is totally. <laughs> we do not set this up ahead of time. <laughs> Like one day I'm going to ask you and you're going to say yes. And I'm going to fall off my chair and get a concussion (laughs) and it's going to be crazy. But yeah. So my God, I just, I, I'm just going to like print out my notes and burn them and throw them out the window at this point. (laughs) So (laughs) I had a reference. There's a reference where there's an epic scene and thank God Kevin knows this, but uh, there's a pilot named wash and they're trying to escape these uh, rabid, cannibals reavers yes they're trying to escape the reavers in the beginning epic scene and they get back onto the ship and they have this like bitchin hovercraft and they just like skid in by the the skin of their teeth and poor wash is just in the cockpit and he's like hello hello is everyone okay hello and that kind of reminds me of our boy Lee Van Cleef here, Hauk, um, being like, hello, did you make it? Are you okay? And then you just have these two jokers. And yet again, Remy's just like, sm- he's not smoking in this. He'll smoke again, I'm sure. But like, he's just kind of hanging out. And then this other like, you know, VP friend who's just, they're just hanging out. They're just, they're they're here to take notes. And they're not doing anything. But um, they certainly like to watch Hauk ask for Pliskin. So I'm glad they're doing something here. Yeah, it's fun not knowing the context of what that means. <laughs> just oh, seeing no. these these dudes just like Pliskin it was I, I, just, I had a it was a fun experience just wondering what any of this means they're yeah they're not I mean one guy is just kind of there because he's he's uh connected to the VP and uh Remy who's behind him is is like a second inch charge so he's he's another um I don't know he's like a lieutenant what would you call him Eric like he's like a, a number one, he's the Riker to Hauk, basically. Yeah, I mean, nice. I think I think the movie presents him as the second in command to Hauk here. All right. Sweet. To put it Star Trek terms. <laughs> yeah, or... well, I appreciate that. Those are actually <laughs> the only terms that I can understand. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> now we've got this. There's an interesting thing in the script that didn't make it into the movie this would have been a very interesting shot for them to include i'm wondering why they cut it out in the script it's not the nose of the plane that's hanging over the edge it's the tail of the plane Mm. and snake actually has to get out of the cockpit and crawl along the outside of the plane to get onto the roof you know we get a little bit of a would be like a little shot of peril of him you know hanging over the edge there having to slowly and carefully make it onto the roof to solid ground and then once he gets on the roof 
it's supposed to be incredibly windy, which in real life is probably the case when you're that high up, and that's not doesn't appear to be the case here in this film scene. They actually the, the script actually used the word hurricane like winds, mm. so they they cut that out. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe they felt it was uh, not worth the time to film. And this roof set, the full-size roof set that then Pliskin is walking across here at, at the end of the minute, they actually built this set next to the airstrip in California where they filmed the glider taking off so that they could just put the glider over then right there and not have to get over with moving the glider to a different location. Well, that sounds convenient. Uh, that's what I have for this minute. Either one of you got anything else for this minute? I mean, I can come up with a few more movies that you haven't seen that I can ask you about. But <laughs> we, got, I mean, we got to stretch that out over another seventy-two episodes. No, let me you see if I can pull that right now. <laughs> you know, how many references can I pull out here that you won't remember or know <laughs> or care about? <laughs> um, no, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good too. I'm good. <laughs> Uh, so, Kevin, uh, why, Kevin will be with us all week. Why don't you let everyone know where your podcast is, what it's about, where they can find it? Yeah, uh, I'm a co-host on Reopening the Wormhole with a uh, former guest of this podcast, Sam Stovold, and another cool guy named Jack. And we are watching every single episode of Deep Space Nine in random order. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you want to listen to your podcasts. And we only have a few episodes left, so we just love to have as many people as we can along for the ride. For us, you can chat with us on Facebook in Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And we're on Twitter, that's NY Minute Pod. Rate and review us if you like what you hear. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until tomorrow, be on time. Stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.